0: Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late to train the train. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs.
1: And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus.
0: Hello, welcome back to Employee of the Month. So, I've been reading all these headlines about how there's a trend in ethnic casting. I'm not kidding, that was a headline. And myself, I've had to deal with, I'm not an actor, but I've had to deal with being told that I was too green, even though there are so many white male hosts on late night television who were given million-dollar deals, multi-million-dollar deals, and given a platform to develop. Men so often in my field are given the chance, and instead I was being told, okay, we don't know what you have, so how can we even give you the chance to audition? And it was such a joy to be able to sit down with Cynthia Nixon to see how that pans out in the acting world. Meaning, What does it mean to be a Latina actor and not get cast in a role as a nurse or a lawyer simply because you happen to be Latina? And at the same time, you know, what do you do as a consummate actor who's hungry to play new roles? And do you give that role up to someone who who deserves that role because they haven't been able to break in even though you may feel equally deserving and you are equally deserving but there's just a dearth of roles so there's no right answer to these questions but I think they are really worth mulling over as to when is it okay to play out of one's comfort zone when you have the credentials and are getting the roles and when is it just reinforcing the cycle and the answer is it's always simultaneously doing both there's no right answer but It was a pleasure and a privilege to sit down with Cynthia Nixon, who's a phenomenal actor, and find out how she weighs in on these issues since she's so thoughtful about it. Here's my second interview with Ms. Cynthia Nixon. I'm here with Cynthia Nixon in her closet. This is probably the most uh, professional interview you've ever done.
1: Hey, it's very, uh, well, it's memorable. It'll be memorable. Whatever is said, you know, I'll remember. Because the thing that you have to tell them about my closet is when you close the door to my closet, it is a walk-in closet, the lights go out. So we're sitting in here on the floor with the door closed because the, you know we live in New York City and so there's construction everywhere. But we have candles, so we look like we're at some spooky séance or I don't know slumber party. I'm on the tell first those
0: stories on the first sunny day of the year too. Yeah. I feel like. yeah
1: yeah April first April Fools April Fools interview in the dark, dark closet.
0: <laughs> um, Cynthia, it was, it was such a, a treat to have you on the show, and I was so taken. Um, by a discussion we started to have in our, our first interview, so I wanted to continue it. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. Are white
1: actors allowed to play Othello anymore?
0: Yes. There you go.
1: Not really at the moment. Not really at the moment. Um, and I think one of the reasons that white actors are not allowed to play Othello anymore is that, um, well, first of all, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to put on blackface? Or are you going to put on dark? makeup? I mean, you know, unless you're Raul Julia, that is what, you know, when Laurence Olivier, you know, he was not in just in blackface, he was in black makeup head to toe. So there's that, right? And there's like, we have such a troubling, scary history in this country, and I'm sure in every country of, you know, um, you know, the white culture, like, oh, here's a Chinese character, let's cast a white person and like do eye makeup on them. Do you know what I mean? And actually. Um,
0: breakfast at tiffany's even when we do have someone who's asian we decide to right right
1: right. and you know my 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 friend bruce norris who's a playwright um i i i can't remember what play of his it was because i don't think it was claiborne park but maybe it was i can't remember but it was a play that he wrote and it had one character of color in it i can't remember what play now and it was being done in Germany. It was a big deal for him, and he realized that they were not. He was informed by an, an actor of color who had done it in Europe that they were they, when they were doing it in Berlin or wherever it was that they were actually casting a white actor and putting makeup on them. And he he pulled the rights, and, you know,
0: which is fabulous because there are so many actors of color who are dying to play that role, or right? So so I think role. so
1: I think the short answer to the question of like can white actors play Othello at the moment, is no, because we don't have enough. Good roles, you know, well-rounded, three-dimensional roles for actors of color. You know, maybe one day when the um, you know society is more integrated, and do you know what I mean? And there are enough roles for every kind of a person in whatever category they belong in. Then again, white actors will be again able to 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 play Othello, but, but not at the moment.
0: That's a very black and white issue, pun yeah. intended. Um, I mean, in an age of globalization where social stratification is um, so nuanced in many ways so that it, you can even whittle down to someone – if someone has cancer, should they play the cancer role? If someone mm-hmm. is Lebanese, should they be able to if play the role gay, of a if Mexican? If someone is gay, should
1: – do, do, yes. they, do you, if you have a gay role, do you have to cast a gay person and, and also – you know, I think it a bit more touchily at the moment. Do you know what I mean? If you, there is an actor out there who, you know, to be gay or lesbian, are they allowed to play straight people or are people going to buy them? Right? So there I feel
0: like, yes. Okay. Tell me what you think. Cause this is your now as both an actor and a director, right? You're facing this from two sides.
1: Yeah. I mean, I look, I think it's, I think it's complicated and I think you know, like as an actor, you want to play as many different things as possible. Absolutely. Hopefully that's why you, you know, there's some film actors that, you know, I love to watch, you know what I mean, and they do the same thing every time and you always know you're going to go see that particular person just yes. play themselves and that's, you know, that's a movie star thing and that's and that's enjoyable, but most actors, you know, go to, you know, go into this profession to be transformative. So um, it's a it's a difficult question. I mean, here's what I would say. I, I, I would say when you're when you're um, like, let's like, let's take a I don't know, like, let's take an older example, because it's maybe easier to see, you know, um, like, are you going to cast someone who isn't Jewish to play Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof? Probably not. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, but it happens all the time. I mean, I, it happens, right? Rosie O'Donnell. She did. She did Goldie, and she was. She was terrific. Do you know what I mean? And I.
0: I. I mean. I guess. i Maybe it depends on what the role is and what that. I mean. I think you know. With color, it's easier to understand. Like when yeah, we say it, black it's and being white. Offensive, being How, offensive. Yes, but however, then like. Why shouldn't a Latino actor um, try out for the role of someone who's Middle
1: Eastern or vice versa? Like, well, because we have so few Middle Eastern actors employed outside of playing terrorists, of playing which terrorists. is so horrifying that they right, imagine going like to do. It yeah. used to be that African American women only played maids. Yes, and now uh, you know, Middle Eastern American men, you, unless you're Tony Shalhoub, yes. you only play terrorists. Yes, right. Yes. So, so you know. Um, so I would say, you know, so when I, after I played Miranda on Six in the City, you know, she's a certain kind of a person. She's a lawyer. She's a career woman. She's very assertive, you know, with, like, a gushy inside but a, but a brittle exterior, you know. So I would get offered a million of those roles, and me, most of them were not interesting, and, and so it was easy to turn them down. Was that because you'd already played that part? Yes, right. So we think we need, we need someone to be a corporate-type uh, executive. Oh, Cynthia Nixon, she can do that, Right. Um, so those were easy to turn down, mostly because they were very two-dimensional parts anyway. Because if, if if you're looking for what I can do, and you think, oh, she can wear a suit, yeah. that's a very surfacey, obviously, type you know job requirement. Um, but you know, but then you get to a more complicated thing of, you know, okay, we all know that Cynthia is a lesbian now, right? So, is that how you identify yourself? I, I, you know, it's so problematic. I, 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 I do identify myself as a lesbian. I mean, if you want to get technical about it, I guess I'm bisexual. I don't really, you know, I'm not really fond of, I mean, I identify myself as a woman who's married to and in love with another woman, but you know. I feel bad because our language, we're not quite there where we have, you know, we have he
0: or she, and then we go to they. Right. (laughs) And I'm, I'm looking forward to knowing the language that. I'm both supposed to use, right? Um, but at the same time, I'm excited that you don't have to fit in boxes so much, that you can say, I'm in love with right. so-and-so. But obviously,
1: it's, you know, to say, I am a woman who loves another woman. I mean, that's a big mouthful. I'd rather just say I'm a lesbian. Yeah. Everybody knows what it means. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so to return back, to this yes. question, to yeah. return to this question. And there is no right answer, but it's a discussion that has to be had, I right. like. So so to return to this question of, like, so now being offered, you know, lesbian roles... On the one hand, that's exciting, and on the other hand, it can be tiresome. It's like, really? Another one of the, you know what I mean? But I feel like...
0: What are some of the roles you get get offered that are particularly um, cumbersome?
1: No, I mean, no, or, I, I don't or, mean that or, the roles themselves. I just feel like, you know, it's like I have a very good friend who's an actress who's Jewish, and so when the role is Jewish, they think of her, and when it's not, they don't. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's both a blessing and a curse. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like if you're a person who identifies with some category that is underrepresented in the media, you kind of have a little bit of an obligation to lean a little on that side. Do you know what I mean? And to be sure that actually maybe I don't want to play my fifth lesbian in a role, but actually... Because the lesbian as a character is relatively, you know, new on the scene. Emerging. Emerging, right? You want to be sure it's done right. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely do.
0: And I I feel this quandary. I'm not an actor. And so um, part of the reason that I was so excited to interview you is that I entrust someone like you. And there are very few actors who are this good who are, are able to be chameleons which right. is the job title but uh, right. in any field it's very hard there are very few people who are really capable I entrust you to take what I'm struggling with and put it on stage
1: I think it's complicated so when I was in my early 20s I was offered a role that I did in uh, a TV show that used to be on a crime show called The Equalizer um, The Equalizer was like you know he was like a detective and he solved cases whatever so the role was of a deaf woman and she was the lead in the episode, and I don't know, some crime had been perpetrated against her, I don't remember. But it was, like, a great role because it was a deaf role. So I had to do all this sign language, and I had to speak the way a deaf person speaks, and, you know. Um, and the guy that they cast in the second lead, the, su- the supporting part, but, like, right up there with me, was a very talented deaf actor named Howie Seco, who was lovely to me. And we had a great time, and obviously the amount of time that I had to learn the sign language. I'm sure I look like a, you know, a three-year-old, you know, trying to, you know, ride a bike. I mean, I'm sure I looked, to anyone who actually speaks sign language, I'm sure it looked abysmal. Um, But I was cast because I was a good actress, and I had a little bit of, you know, a a profile. You know, some people knew who I was and stuff. And Howie was lovely to me, and at the end of our week or week and a half together, whatever it was... And he said many things. You know, the the deaf community is a very separatist community. Hmm. What and, does that mean? Um, they really like. He told me a story. He's married to a hearing woman, and um, he would tell he would he would tell me endless stories. And he would tell me about his his anger at 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 hearing people and the discrimination he felt from them, and how much he didn't like them. And um, his wife, who was hearing, as I said. Said to him one day, You know, you should think a little bit before you, you know, keep saying all this stuff because we're going to have a child someday and that child may hear. What are you going to do when that child is born and you're the father of a hearing child? He said, Oh, I'm not worried about that. I'll take two pencils and I'll go like this. And he made a gesture as if he was like puncturing his son's eardrums, which of course, obviously, he would never do. But that, you know, that speaks to the how how committed to his deaf identity he was and how much he wanted his world to be a deaf world, despite the fact that his wife was hearing. You know what I mean? So anyway, he said to me, it's been a pleasure working with me. He thinks I did a great job. But he asks in the future, if I get offered another deaf role, that I will pass, that I will not take it because it's not appropriate, you know? And... uh. You know, I, I heard what he said and I said, okay, I, I thank you for telling me that, you know. I don't know what I will do next time if this ever happens again, you know. And I feel like that's a, you know, to me that's like the far end of the of the spectrum. Do you know what I mean?
0: Completely. I mean, even when you were talking before about, um, you know, whether so many gay men have played romantic leads over right. the years.
1: And, um, but not when they were out of the closet.
0: Well now, right? Like Rock Hudson. Neil Patrick
1: Harris. What big romantic roles has he played? <laughs> in How I Met
0: Your Mother, he was a womanizer.
1: He's a womanizer, <laughs> but that's different than a like a romantic guy that everybody thinks is dreamy, <laughs> he's right? No, he's no Rock Hudson, but he was playing a heterosexual. He was male. absolutely playing a heterosexual. Yes, yes. And I, you know, and I think he's, a, and I think, and there um, are so many people who are still in the closet
0: in. Um, particularly in comedy, I would say, that's uh, the area that I know. Right. Um where it's the irony <laughs> right that um those people who take it upon themselves to be so open still feel scared it makes me sad because right. then you realize right. how right. many people in jobs where they don't feel like it's comfortable to come out and probably it is not
1: comfortable to come out right and you would headed. think comedy would be less right it's oh not my like God,
0: the least right <laughs> so right. that's why it feels right. so yeah you feel, I have so much empathy for them in many ways and then also
1: sadness i mean i'm going to do a play this summer that i'm very excited about it's a three-character play based on Phaedra. Now, Phaedra is one of the great classical roles. This is a modern setting, um, but it's one of the great classical roles for an older actress. And it's about a woman in the original, in the Greek and in the Racine, uh, the French version later in the, in the Renaissance, um, a, a woman who is a queen who falls hopelessly in love with her stepson to the point of death and he rejects her and it's you know tragedy ensues but it's about this enormous all-consuming obsessive love of an older woman for a younger man and carrie perloff who who uh, runs act in san francisco she wrote this play and i was completely captivated by it i think it's an amazing play it's an amazing reworking of a classic story of a classic classic play piece of theater but one of the things particularly as a lesbian, but even lesbian aside, just as a woman who is nearing 50, you you'd never get to play a role like this that is so fully sexual and is so much about female desire and appetite and, and not from a, but like a very powerful, self-assured woman who falls for this, you know, Maybe handsome, maybe smart, maybe promising, but, you know, man, much her junior, who is actually her employee. And it's like, we're so, you, you know, we're so used to seeing the opposite, of course. I mean, Men absolutely. in their 50s and 60s and whatever falling for 21-year-olds. I mean, we see this all the time. The silver time. foxes. Totally. But so, but, but I... But certainly as a woman of my age, but also as a lesbian, like, I just do not get to be seen in this sort of a sexual light with a man. So apart from loving the play, I was like, oh, I'm doing that play. No, nobody's going to stop me from doing that play.
0: Once you you came out as being in love with a woman and being a lesbian, do, do you feel like you stopped getting the same type of role offers?
1: No, I don't. Because I feel like, you know, that's the thing about me. I was never like the the, you know, the sexy ingenue or anything. You know what I mean? Sex in the City came later for me. I was, I was already 30, 31 by the time we did it. Um, and so that was my sort of my sexual period, which was, you know what I mean? But I, I, I've i always been the sort of the, the 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 big talking brainiac. I've never been the, you know, the sultry, you know, smoldering But that seems like a coup. I mean, to me. It's a total coup. To and, me- for, and a coup for us and a coup for Kim Cattrall, who was actually all, like almost 40, I think, when she did it.
0: And also to always get meaty roles. I mean, I, I would so much rather absolutely. Like, I mean, obviously, I, it would be wonderful to be beautiful and walk through life right, and, and have, have everyone
1: like <laughs> all the dialogue be like, "Wow, did you see her? Oh, wow,
0: right." <laughs> but as an actor, you, I imagine, it would be really uh, disconcerting to stop getting roles immediately, right? Um, as soon as have you have hit thirty-five than, or yeah, whatever, yeah. or that require a semicolon, right, right. Um, so this is a, a segue to the next question of you. Mm very much identify as an activist and I wanted to figure out how that plays out in your life. What does that mean to be one? Um, how do you choose which causes you can really focus on and and sink your teeth into, you know, versus writing a check and mm-hmm. sort of not being, I'm right. sure you're offered things all the time. People came to see you on my live taping and they were like, hey, I'm on the board of Human Rights Watch. Hey, I'm on the right. board of the I International know. Rescue Committee. How can um, we get to Cynthia? And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I thought it would be phenomenal to, but I, <laughs> but I really wanted to ask you <laughs> your feelings on how you choose what you can really um, focus on and do so in a way that, that feels meaningful to you.
1: Right. Well, you know, I mean, one could literally do something every calendar day of the year that would be important and meaningful, but obviously you can't do that, right? Because you, you have, have two kids, three, three kids, kids Sorry. right?
0: You have three kids, you have a career. Right,
1: right. You have a, right. So, I would say, I would say, the stuff that I I do falls into basically four categories, um, and I would say the oldest one that I I do is is um, women's reproductive rights. Is that a problem? That noise.
0: It, we're we're in Cynthia's closet, and um, Cynthia is so wealthy now that she has several uh, people here just building <laughs> more. Shoe cases. I'm just kidding. It's outside noise. It's New York. Welcome to it's New York. A,
1: I think it's the water in the pipes. Okay, but it's tough.
0: Um, right. If you guys, you should check on us after this airs to make sure that we're still here in case a tidal wave comes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have worn my bathing suit had I known that there might be a, a so, water leak. So
1: I would say that the, 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 the stuff that I, I give my time to falls into basically four categories. And the first category is women's reproductive rights. And that goes back to like when I was... Um, 13, I think, and I was very excited to be invited to participate in a NARAL and National Abortions Right Action League, um, you know, a bunch of actresses reading poems and spe- you know what I mean,
0: I used to go to those. Yeah. yeah and I still do. Yeah. Right? marches on walk. Barbara Feldon
1: was in that <laughs> evening and like 99 was my idol, you know, and get smart. But, um, yeah, so, so certainly, and I, and whenever Planned Parenthood asked me to do anything, I try and do it. I'd show up or I send a, you know, send a letter to the public, you know, informing people. So I would say, you know, my mother, um, had an abortion when it was illegal. And, you know, I think it's just really important to keep it front and center and, um, how, how important women's reproductive rights are and health are. And it's just astonishing to me when I look at my lifetime the way those rights have not only been under attack, but actually how much progress the other side has made. And particularly if you contrast it with, say, gay rights, which just seems just flying forward, you know, barely checked at all lately.
0: I, I also have found the criticism towards people, like I'm, I'm just thinking about, um, in the actress Patricia Arquette who was winning for Boyhood and I was so angered that when she mentioned women's rights she was immediately criticized for not mentioning people of color and I (sighs) knew that she meant women of color and that she meant LGBT and that the decision to attack her when there were all these other speeches about tons of issues that were important but she was the only one nailed for it um really upset me because I felt like it does get brushed under to be a, a feminist and actually talk about women's rights across across yeah. ethnicity, color, religion, sexual identity. Yeah, and it was the need to sort of attack and then simultaneously, like, um, you just eat yourself. Like, yeah. it, these are people who probably
1: agree with her if they gave her a I moment. Know. We're, I know the. I mean, it's probably true of the right too, but on the left, we're the harshest on our own people.
0: And I have this often with. Um, I mean, I will be very frank. I mean, it is a a constant issue for me with um, gay versus lesbian, where I see that, um, you know, social stratification repeats itself within cultures as much as it does um, between them. And so you'll see this bifurcation where, you know, gay men... Um, are doing so much really wealthier.
1: well, yes, <laughs> and it's because they're men. <laughs> it's it's because they're right. It's because they're men. It's 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 less now that they, uh, you know, more and more gay men have have children. Do you know, yes. Yeah, so
0: that's absolutely right. That's changing things. And
1: but it's also that you know women and lesbians in particular seem to go into the nonprofit sector that yeah. does not pay. You know, yes. in, in so much higher numbers. Yes.
0: And then I'm generalizing because I of course right. like don't mean this no, for every it, individual. It, no, but there but is. is you
1: yeah. So I, I completely
0: understand um, the desire to say no. We need to have nuance here. I hate when like the New York Times will say the Jewish vote, and I'm like, do you know how, how the rest of the world looks at you? Right. And you don't feel that way. Right. Probably you're right. talking about a very uh, religious conservative community when you're right. saying that. Right. So I, I do find the limitations of that irritating. But anyway, so going back, so you you have said that. Um, so I would say the pro
1: choice, pro choice, um, and I would say public education.
0: Yes, and that you've been an advocate for forever. Yeah, I
1: mean, I I grew up in New York City. I went to public schools. My kids go to public schools. I think it's really important, and I think there is this just horrendous smear campaign against the public schools that's been going on now for decades. Is it a smear control, or is it the... It is a
0: smear campaign. No, wait a minute. Or is it the lack of funding that goes to public schools?
1: It is both, but I feel like one comes directly out of the other, right? If you ask... And, and I'm not going to forgive me I'm not going to have the statistics uh, uh, exactly right but it's basically like if you ask you know, random people all over America whether the public schools in America are good or not about 80% of them will say they're bad and then if you ask those exact same Americans um, do, your, do you like your own children's public school teachers 80% of them will say yes
0: but I think the question in and of itself is sort of a silly one because it just depends on where you are located. I mean, I I used to work in schools okay. where there were no books, and these children uh, desperately deserved more funding, and these
1: teachers deserved more okay, funding. But and what support. I want to but what I want to say is. Um, you know how they take polls about, like, how the, how the country is going? Do you know what I mean? And people are either, like, quite optimistic or quite pessimistic. And that's just sort of what's in the ether and what's being put out there. And I feel like there has been a smear campaign for at least a f- couple of decades, really longer, really more like 40 years. Wait, let me finish. I am listening. Saying that, you know, the public schools are a disaster. Let's stop funding them. Let's stop throwing oh, wow. good money after bad. And so it's like if we can make people believe, and yes, by all means, there are terrible, terrible public schools in every city, in every community in this country, except for the wealthiest ones. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You can find no. You can find no. You know, shortage of schools that are not doing their job well, and teachers that are not doing their job well. But if you look at now versus fifty years ago. We're doing a much better job, and mm-hmm. the perception is completely different. And partly the perception is completely different because our schools used to be segregated. And so the people who were listened to about whether the schools were good, they were white, affluent people, and they owned, their kids only went to school with other white, affluent people. Yeah. And once that school is mixed, white people with money, wh- wh- whatever color they are, people in the power structure, yeah. start, stop thinking of those children in those schools as our kids. And then the people who actually, truly want to defund, want to to stop public education, want to privatize it the way they want to privatize everything else, you know, they convince people that the public schools are a mess and we should stop. And and it's not for our kids, it's for those kids who can't learn anyway. So the fact of the schools being underfunded is a direct, um, is made possible by Mm -hmm. the smear, by the smear campaign.
0: Now I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, um, and it's
1: my question to you is: So, how do you
0: um, decide to work on this issue? What are the things that you decide to say? Okay, I have this. I much decide time? to say,
1: look, I'm a person with options who sends their kid to public school because you can get a great public school education, and I want to fight for the public school budget in my in my neighborhood, in my city, in my state, in my country. But logistically,
0: how do you say, uh, how, you know, how much time do I have in a year? How do you divide it up? You know, in it head?
1: depends. You know, when the budget is coming out in New York State, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, when, when there are big fights on the horizon. So I would say an outgrowth of the—so so right next to public schools, I also fight, fight for progressive politicians because progressive politicians, by definition— fight for public schools. So whether that's like campaigning for Obama, who really doesn't, you know, need my help, you know, me and the the rest of the world wants to campaign for Obama. But you know what I mean? Campa- campaigning for Bill de Blasio, campaigning for the Working Families Party, you know, campaigning for not just the Democratic Party, but the, you know, the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party that really wants to um, fund public schools, who wants to um, make sure that, you know, the, Kids who who want to go to college can afford to go to college. You know that I mean, that's they, becoming
0: more and more impossible. It's
1: just horrendous.
0: But I thought uh, it was progress to see that you didn't have to come out again. Uh, excuse me. You didn't have to come out in support of you know Christine Quinn or. Um, you know that you could you could choose a candidate based on what you thought that candidate was going to do for a certain population and not just Christine Quinn
1: I mean I feel like we had such a we had such a wide range of candidates for mayor in the Democratic Party from just almost every demographic you can think of and not just me you know many people who you know who were like, yeah, I'm African-American, but I'm not voting for the African-American candidates, yes. you know? I love
0: that because it, it's not it's, great. it's not the question of who's the, who's the best of the worst.
1: Right. And then you <laughs> but- don't just have to vote identity <laughs> politics because the fact of someone in your category showing up, it only happens once in a hundred years. So you got to vote for that person. Well,
0: right? I mean, that's a challenge now with Hillary Clinton. And I feel like that was a frustration I felt with Obama where I... Immediately uh, jumped on the bandwagon to go with Obama, and I'm still glad I did. However, I was sad to see that it didn't necessarily show up in his own administration that. In terms or, of
1: women? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Overall, I'm really glad I voted yeah. for him, and I don't yeah. I don't Me feel too. any other Me way too. about it. But these are all challenges, and I think Hillary Clinton is brilliant and competent in so many ways, but I also think it's sad to live in But a- I think
1: she's a lot more brilliant and competent than she was eight years ago, too. Yes, you which know? is a
0: great way to look at it, because I, I think that sometimes I get bogged down in the idea of are we living in this sort of... Um, despotic society where we just go back to Bushes and Clintons. Right, right. <laughs> um, well,
1: it's a, it's, a, it's a problem. It is a problem. So, so your, your I would causes say, are pro, so pro-choice. Pro ch- pro-choice, um, public education, uh, progressive politics, um, and then I would say um, LGBT stuff, you know? And we, you know, my wife and I, we fought very hard, particularly for marriage equality. And she works for Mayor de Blasio
0: now, she right? She does now. Is she an undersecretary? I just love that phrase. Mm,
1: I don't think so. Uh, she's a. I, I it's know. a high. Le- it's a high level. She's position. got a long title. She's she's actually has a dual appointment in the Department of Ed and in City Hall. She's so like, she's a, some strategic initiatives. The, I don't know.
0: I like that. Their all of their job titles are are long sentences. <laughs> <space. laughs> Whatever it is, it has at least five titles within it. Yeah. Ask her if she'd like to add undersecretary because that okay. was one of my favorite. Okay. titles. Okay. Okay. It
1: sounds like you're <laughs> under a desk or something, but. <laughs> I know. Right. Under a secretary. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So and and uh, I I, I do some I do some cancer stuff, too. But I also feel like um, I don't know. I feel like we're doing pretty good getting the cancer word out. You know what I mean? Um,
0: People know that it exists.
1: People know that it exists. And and people do such amazing, you know, fundraising stuff. I think one thing that's important, I think, is to more than fighting for you know other people fight for legislation it's very important but you know i think as as a a person who's had cancer and as a a daughter of a survivor of cancer you know i think it's important to tell my story more than fight for specific stuff
0: that's what i was really getting to is that there's so many worthy causes and clearly you are um sensitive to you know 99.9 percent of them maybe even you know 130 percent of them how do you choose which ones you go after and then how do you choose how you spend your time on those issues
1: well, I mean, I do it. I do it fairly. I, I just sort of take it as it comes, you know. Obviously, when Bill de Blasio is running for mayor, he's running for mayor now. And so so now is the time that I, I fight for him, particularly when he was so, you know, at the beginning when it didn't seem, you know, that's when you need to put your firepower behind him, you know.
0: How many ribbon cuttings would you say you
1: like? <laughs> No, I know. <laughs> Once he became mayor, then no. But, um... Uh, you know, just, just, just getting the word out, you know, and, and as I say, with things like education, um, it is cyclical, you know, you know, it's the spring and the budget and, you know, that kind
0: of thing. so now you're doing a lot of theater and I I just wanted to ask, like, are you in a position, I've heard, I've heard some filmmakers and things say one for them and one for me. Oh yeah. And they'll Mm -hmm. pick one project that makes them money to be able to fund, um, their passion project. Do you know,
1: I always love, um. Not that he was ever a favorite actor of mine. I admire him. But Burt Lancaster would always say that, you know, one for them, one for me. And what he said himself about his own career was, you know, when his career was like 40, 50 years, however long it was, and that when he looked back on the beginning of his career and his his money job would be one kind of thing and then his art job would be a totally different, completely, you know, opposite end of the spectrum. And he said when he got into his 70s, he he looked at what the two jobs would be, and they were really like millimeters apart at that point. You know what I mean? And that he was able to to you know, I don't know move the needle the needles in. Completely. And, and, and it's also it's also very much. I mean, he comes from the studio system, right? So it's also very much a mark of how independent film gained a foothold and a budget. And do you know what I mean? You could yes. actually, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think of it that way. I mean.
0: How do you approach your jobs? Like, I don't I imagine you didn't go into like the Adams family values and, um, <laughs> you know, babysitters or even sometimes law and order is like, God, I really need to get behind this show politically. This is going to be a really tough right. job for me. I, I, I imagined that those might have been fun and they also paid well.
1: Well, Adam, some of those I was in for one day, so it didn't pay that well. But okay. I was excited. <laughs> I was excited because it was Scott Rudin and it was Paul Rudnick. Um, what were the other ones you mentioned? The babysitters?
0: Well, it was a larger question. Right. Of, like, to what extent, you know, now... That I you,
1: really don't. I really... I gotta say, You know... Are I, you
0: able to pick roles that you really want to do for artistic purposes um, and not I necessarily do, financial? I
1: do. I, you know, I, I earned so much money from Sex and the City, not just from the series, but then also from the films and from the residuals and also from the... You know, there's stuff like the slot machines that we get money from every few months. What are the slot machines? Well, in Las Vegas, there are sex and and other places where they have gambling. There are sex in the city slot machines. And so we get dividends from them. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's fantastic. And people I know who go to Vegas, they say, hey, I played your slot machine. And I say, good, you keep (laughs) playing that one, you know? So I feel like, I mean... And I can do personal appearances for money. Do you know what I mean? And it's not a ton of money, but it's, you know.
0: This is so exciting. So now you can really just focus on the, yeah. the roles that you care about. And so what are those right right now? I got to see um, a reading, although it was so well done, it didn't even feel like it was a reading, recently of a play that you're directing, a one-woman show. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, Stacey Ann's show. Yeah. Yeah. That was very exciting. So So here's what, I I mean, I have so much stuff going on. It's really great. Well, I have the three, four movies coming out. Yes. Right? And I have this one, this Morgan Freeman, Diane Keaton one, which is so fun. And people are starting to say to me all, I saw your trailer. I saw your trailer. I saw your, you know. Plug the titles for me. Uh, So the Morgan Freeman, Diane Keaton one which is a very New York movie comedy called Five Flights Up about an older couple who live in a great Brooklyn, two bedroom, sunny apartment, but it's five flights up and there's no elevator. And I play her niece, Diane Keaton's niece, and I'm their real estate broker and I'm trying to convince them they have to move. So it's about, you know, aging and real estate and new york and old new york versus new new york you know people who are able to live here and have an artistic life and people who are now just like you know money 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 you know. is
0: this gonna make it even harder for me to one day <laughs>
1: potentially
0: own an apartment is this gonna make it harder for me to even rent an apartment that has a dishwasher or laundry so. near it i don't
1: think so i don't <laughs> think so um right so there's that there's james white which i think is uh, gonna be distributed this is Josh Mon's film starring Christopher Abbott and me about uh, a, a a grown son and his mother who has cancer and his
0: mother and your mother passed away the same time right almost
1: but- the same time his a little bit before mine yes but the year that we made it my mother had died of cancer and his mother had died I think the previous year I, I, so it's very very personal film and um, what was lo- it
0: looks phenomenal it's
1: really it. good and it's it's really it's it's um the filmmaking is so gorgeous the script is gorgeous the performances are gorgeous but um it's really great because I never met his mother but I think she and my mom had a lot in common at least in terms of their aesthetics so i was able to actually wear all these clothes of my mom's and jewelry of my mom's and 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 anybody who saw it who knew her said oh you seem just like josh's mom do you know what i mean they're like upper west side bohemian ladies was that cathartic it was cathartic in a way and also more than cathartic i would say sort of more like a tribute i think maybe but also it goes back to your initial question of like who who has the permission to do these roles? Do you know?
0: And when I was saying, you know, I'm counting on you, I say this as an audience member. Yeah. And I, uh, you are counting on, because there are very few actors, you know, maybe a hundred in the world. And again, I mean, in any field, they're just simply, not everyone's gifted. Right.
1: There <laughs> are only a limited amount of people who can do anything in any field. Right. Like, I will. would go see Sean Penn do just about anything. When he was around, I would see... Except stand-up comedy. Oh, oh, no, any role. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, do you know what I mean? Meryl Streep, I would, you know what I mean? Meryl Streep plays so many roles that she has absolutely no relation to, but it doesn't matter. do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And so, when you have a brilliant technician like that, whatever they want to do, you should just let them do it, even if they're completely wrong, the wrong age, the wrong gender, the wrong ethnicity, whatever, it doesn't matter. But you know, for, for something is always um, enhanced by uh, by the person having some experience, whether it's of the culture or or the the, the particularities of the circumstance of the character. You know, it, it, it does enhance.
0: I think it's important to look at empathy and um, being able to walk in someone else's shoes versus necessarily identity. And
1: I do think that that really serious actors do. Uh, and I'm not a really serious actor, I'm a mostly serious actor. Yeah, I've only
0: seen you be funny <laughs> on stage, so I'm like... But, we'll, <laughs> but, we'll, we'll but you know, like, you the, really
1: devo- you know, the, 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 the really top people, you know, the movie stars who have all the time in the world and maybe don't have three children or whatever, you know, they really do such a good job of immersing themselves in the world and, and going, and, and if they don't have a personal experience, going into that world and really kind of living in it for a while and then bringing it to the audience. I mean, I think that that's a, that's a way to get around it. If you are not that thing and if you do not come from that thing that you are playing, go and uh, immerse yourself in that workplace or that culture or whatever.
0: Well, Cynthia, I feel that way about you. So I'm so grateful to have had you, on, you. on the show again. And I, I hope you'll come I back. I finish
1: telling you about the things. Yes, I, okay, yes, And I'll absolutely. run through them really fast. No, don't run through them. Okay, so there's Stockholm, Pennsylvania which is Nicole Beckwith's film starring Sersha Ronan and me that I think they I think they've sold to a lifetime about a family whose 4-year-old daughter is kidnapped and then brought back as an adult and it's a kind of a, a mother and daughter misery story if you saw that James Caan, Kathy Bates movie it's yes. where where she comes back into into our lives and at first it all seems like it's going to be great and then it seems we realize she's completely bonded with her captor and I I become I turn into her captor and I try with absolutely no training whatsoever to regress her the way you would you know um I try to tear her down and build her up again and it doesn't go so well um and she's still reeling from that do you know Nicole yeah reeling from the experience of yeah. making the film
0: yeah I don't know I, I don't know I don't know
1: I mean I think it I don't know I think she's pretty pleased with it okay
0: she's able to not actually feel like that happened
1: oh you mean Sersha?
0: Sersha, yes is, is Search a like... is
1: a pro okay Saoirse is a pro you don't take your work home with you no not so okay. much I mean my wife would tell you something different but I don't think I do um, oh and then I have a uh, a part in the Adderall Diaries starring James Franco I play his agent that's going to be a fascinating film and
0: that will be a Tribeca Film Festival which is coming up April
1: out. 16th yeah yes
0: which is also the next live taping of employee of the month oh so maybe well, people should have go to, to both well you'll have to choose no no no
1: <laughs> Cynthia this is
0: is mainstream audio okay. podcasting.
1: All right, so then I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing the Phaedra play over the summer. Then in the fall, I'm directing Stacey Ann Chin's one-woman show about uh, her quest to become a, mo- a mom as a single lesbian. And then I'm doing um, another play for the new group in the fall, as yet unannounced. So I will let you know what that is. And then uh, then there's Christmas and who knows what next.
0: Um, well, I really, really want to thank you again for coming on Employee of the Month. I hope you will come back again and again. Um, it is such a, a privilege to speak with someone who I, I do believe is one of those, um, very rare actors who can take on all these roles and I'm grateful you do it.
1: Well, thank you.
0: That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Ian Mazoff for editing this. Thank you to Josh Rogerson. Thank you to Jelly D for being an incredible intern and allowing us to record these here. Thanks to all of you for listening. Go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out about future live tapings as well as ways you can donate and um, also how to check out more episodes. Talk to you soon.